on the parables of Jesus, and today is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, I've been listening, I've been able to catch some of them. I caught Dean's uh, that he spoke a few weeks ago, and if you guys can remember to email me the files, it's nice when you're traveling to just stay in touch in here, and it was, it was just such a blessing to be able to do that. And it's good to be here to hear Crystal today. So let's pray for her. Lord, thank you for Crystal and just the wonderful gift, Lord, that she is to us as part of our church family. And Lord, I, I know that you've given her a gift. I know, Lord, that you've given her a mind that, that uh, is, is keen and hungers and thirsts for your truth and and just for the wonderful things that have already come as a result of that. We bless her today to articulate the things that you have placed in her mind and heart. We open our hearts to receive her, Lord, as part of, part of family together. And I just minister your truth to her today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Hi. It's been a little over a year since I last preached. And at that point, I was eight months pregnant. So the biggest challenge for me that time was um, being able to stand. I, I didn't. I sat through it all. Um, the biggest challenge this week was finding time to prepare for today. Um, before Jocelyn was born, I don't think I understood how all-consuming motherhood would be. Motherhood is all-consuming. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing. Now that I'm a mother, I do feel like some aspects of my character are beginning to flourish, and other aspects are being pruned. When Jocelyn became sick with her first infection, I remember being in the hospital, and um, she was limp in my arms, and I looked over at Alec and said, I think... Motherhood will be a constant exercise in surrender, surrendering your child back to God. Um, and agreeing to preach today was another exercise in surrendering. Will I find the time to prepare and have the, the mental capacity to, to put something together? He's answered my prayers, and I have had the support this week to, to be able to find time and and get something ready. But having said all that, let's pray and, and again commit this time to God. Lord, we thank you that you have been with us all week and that you're here in this place. You um, invite your, us to your house each week and we come with um, with everything that we have, everything that we've been through, and and say, here we are, and here are our hearts, here are our ears. We commit this this time, and ask that you would meet us, and that you would speak to us. Amen. Today we're going to hear about the Good Samaritan. I'm sure this is a parable you all know well, and I'd like to read it together first to refresh our memories. Mark, am I able to um, change the slides myself? Yeah? Okay. 
Great. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you, re- how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Um, I must have done this the wrong way. There we go. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There's a lot going on here. And if we don't um, do some historical background work, I think we'll miss out on some important themes. I do think we need to ask, what did this dialogue mean in its time? Before we can ask what it means for us today. So that's what I'll set out to do first. I'm going to look at some of the culturally embedded details in the text, and I'll do so in three parts. You may have noticed that I organized the slides into three. That was intentional because the structure of the text itself is in three parts. Let me show you. This is the first section. It's a dialogue that banters back and forth between the expert of the law, and let's call him a lawyer. So a dialogue back and forth between the lawyer and Jesus. I've put Jesus' words in red so that you can see um, the dialogue more easily. And then second, Jesus recounts the parable itself, the story about the Good Samaritan. Third, we return back to the dialogue between Jesus and the expert in the law, the lawyer. Oops. It's not quite working. 
Okay. Okay, so let's shuffle back to the first part of the text. The first game of ping pong back and forth. Right off the bat, we encounter the lawyer who asks this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Was this a loaded question? Was he trying to trap Jesus? It's hard to say, actually. Scholars disagree on this. We read that the lawyer stood up to test Jesus, but this particular question about prerequisites for the kingdom, inheriting the kingdom, was a pretty standard question. In any case, Jesus turns the question around and puts the ball back into the lawyer's court. What is written in the law, he replies, how do you read it? Um, I think I need to back up a bit. Yeah. The lawyer responds by reciting part of the Shema and part of Leviticus 19.18. That's where love your neighbor as yourself is found. These verses were central to the Jewish faith, and there was no dispute amongst Jews as to their importance. Bravo, Jesus replies. You've got the answer. So up until now, all is good. Both parties agree. They're on the same page. Fulfill the Shema and you will inherit eternal life. It's really the next question that changes the direction of the conversation. Who is my neighbor? It's this question, who is my neighbor, that causes Jesus to launch into the parable. Why? Well, because Jesus understands the intent behind the question. The only reason the lawyer wants to know who his neighbor is is because he wants to um, fulfill the commands of Torah. It's for the sake of his own self-righteousness. So his concern is not about loving people, per se, but fulfilling Torah, meeting um, the set of laws and regulations that set the people of God apart from others. He wants a clear delineation. Who is my neighbor? Jesus has something to say about this, but rather than get into a heated debate over it, he takes the conversation down a different road the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. So here's the parable. Jesus launches into it, and he hooks us right away. He grabs our attention by introducing us to the first character, a Jewish man who has been severely wronged, stripped, beaten, and basically left to die on the side of the road. He's a victim of deadly violence and humiliation. Next, we meet two more characters, a priest and then a Levite. The priest sees the dying Jewish man on the side of the road and immediately walks to the other side, 
and passes him by. And the Levite does the exact same thing. Why? (laughs) Have you ever wondered, like, doesn't that seem a bit strange? I mean, these are leaders in the Jewish community, and they don't even stop to check it out. What we aren't told in the parable is that priests and Levites were not to be in contact with a dead body. The law stipulated that priests were defiled by contact with a corpse. And a Levite, um, if he was on his way to serve in the temple, then contact with a corpse um, would also um, defile him. So this is probably why the priest and the Levite in the parable didn't stop to help. So there we have it. The poor Jew is still on this road, um, still naked, still in pain. And the next character we, we read about is the hero, the Samaritan. So let's read this part about the Samaritan again. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What do we know about this hero from the parable? What does Jesus tell us about him? Of course, he's a Samaritan. He owns a donkey. And he sacrificed his time and money for the sake of um, this dying Jew. But we aren't told much else. The fact that he's a Samaritan, that says a lot already. You see, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. In fact, there was often violence between them. They were enemies. Samaritans were the people who lived in the north of Israel, and um, this was after the Assyrian conquest in the 8th century. They had their own version of the law and their own places of worship. They rejected the Jerusalem temple and the worship there. So here we've just seen a priest and Levite either on their way back from the temple um, or on their way to. Um, and they don't stop to help the dying Jew. Supposedly they had just had an encounter with God and they, they don't even help. And yet the Samaritan does. So I just think that's kind of ironic. Anyway, we've come to the end of the parable, and now we're back to this ping-pong back and forth between Jesus and the lawyer. Oops. Okay, I'm not sure where my slides are at, so just bear with me. Um... Yeah, we'll leave that there. (laughs) So we're at the end of the parable, and Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Jesus invites the lawyer to identify with the victim, the dying Jew. Who did the dying Jew discover was his neighbor? The answer is obvious. The lawyer responds, the one who had mercy on him. The Samaritan showed more compassion than the Jewish leaders. He loved the dying Jew as himself. What would have this meant to the lawyer? What was Jesus trying to get across to him? Well, I think the idea of the Samaritan as neighbor would have totally caught him by surprise. With this parable, Jesus radically redefines the Jewish understanding of neighbor. And in so doing, he blows the roof off their understanding of kingdom inheritance. Remember the very first question that the lawyer asks Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The parable of the Good Samaritan is suggesting that the door to eternal life is not closed to those outside the Jewish community. On the contrary, it's suggesting that the door is open to outsiders. And as we've heard in the last few weeks from the other parables, we've realized that the doors to eternal life are open to anyone who has ears to hear, who will listen to Jesus and have faith in him. In my research, I came across a brilliant conclusion, much more eloquent than I could have ever imagined writing. So I'm just going to quote N.T. Wright. Alec calls him a valid smart guy. Here it is. At stake throughout the parable was the question, who would inherit the age to come? In other words, who would benefit when Yahweh brought in the kingdom? The parable answered this question with sharp clarity. Outsiders were coming into the kingdom, and at least by implication, insiders were being left out. More specifically, there was a way of being Israel which would be truly and radically faithful to the very center of Torah, as summed up in the Shema. But this way, when pursued to the limits, would involve the redrawing of Israel's boundaries to include those normally reckoned beyond the pale. In that process, the whole system of temple and sacrifice would itself be called into question. At the beginning of my talk, I said that we would press into what this parable uh, meant in its historical moment. So I hope that I've done that and it's been helpful. What I want to do now is consider the implications of this parable for us today. With the lawyer, we are invited to search our hearts. Are we more likely to behave like the priest and the Levite or the Samaritan? We are invited to consider if there are limits to our neighborly love. Do we extend the Father's love on a day-to-day basis? Do we even have the eyes to see opportunities where we can extend the Father's love? It's important to recognize this step. Before doing anything, we actually need eyes to see what we need to do. 
I don't know if you noticed this, but each of the travelers in the parable was reported to have seen the man on the side of the road. So let's see if I can get that slide back up here. Okay, that didn't work. I got a black screen here. Okay, one minute. So what Mark's going to pull up is a slide that has verses 31 to 33. Um, I'll just jog down here. Okay, here it is. Um, I've highlighted um, the word saw, so you can see that each of the the people saw the man. Um, My point here is that seeing a need is the first step, and upon seeing it, we make a decision whether to ignore it or to um, respond. How many times in our week do we see a need and ignore it? Or worse yet, how many opportunities do we miss because we don't even see them in the first place? I think that sometimes we get so caught up in our own routines or, um, you know, cell phones. Alec talks about being on the bus and feeling like a social outcast because he doesn't have a screen he's looking in. Um, And I I think that's a real danger that we get so consumed with um, whatever whatever the device is that we we actually don't look at people. Um, Or even, you know, creation. Um, I see people... The other day I was looking... Um, for a, a place to live. We're looking for a basement suite. And I was on Google Maps. I was trying to find the house on the road that um, was advertised. And there's this you know, guy walking down the street looking at his, his whatever, phone or... Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> that's an aside. We get caught up with these things and we forget to actually practice seeing. Um, I, I really do think in, in today's age that we need to practice it. It doesn't come easy to us. When Jocelyn got her last kidney infection, we were admitted to the hospital for uh, five days. And on the second day, I was <laughs> so emotional and... Maybe I'll actually tell a story. (laughs) I was crying out to God. 
because I, I wanted to feel him in the room. And I didn't. So I just kept crying out to him. And that day, we had a really special nurse. Alec and I both um, noticed it and thought, you know, there's something different about her. She went the extra mile and really made us feel um, like she was our advocate. She was a good liaison between us and the doctors. And it made us feel so good um, to be cared for so well. That evening, we had a more personal conversation with her and discovered that she was a Christian. And so we actually uh, found out we had mutual friends. And I just totally felt like God answered my prayer. Um, You know, I think I was looking for this, um, I don't know, wind or spiritual kind of hug or something. Um, But he answered it in a tangible way. Um, Jesus was in Tracy and uh, taking care of us. Um, But up until we had that conversation, she didn't know we were Christians. And her job was to care for us. But um, like I said, she went above and beyond the call of duty it would have been really easy for her just to treat us like patients. Um, kind of like the lawyer, you know, he wanted to categorize, know who his neighbor was and, and just go about his work, fulfill the Torah. Um, it would have been easy for Tracy to just think of us as patients and not human beings. But she, she saw us as, as human beings in need of love, and she gave it to us. It was such a gift to be on the receiving end of that love. Um, and we all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of love, because the Father has first loved us. Um, I'd like to close in prayer and... Um, Alex is going to come up and sing one more song. Um, and so during that time, sing or just reflect on, um, you know, how, how you might um, start practicing um, seeing. We can pray now that God would give us eyes to see um, and to help us practice. Lord, you see us, and you have compassion on us. We're here today because you've had compassion on us. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we come and it's, um, it's just what we do on Sunday. Um, 
but uh, we we acknowledge that today. We we look back to the moment when um, uh, we realized that you were seeing us and watching us, and and we say to you, we want to go and do likewise. And so help us to see, um, make our hearts tender, help us practice, um, it's hard, Lord, this is the thing we struggle with, I think, um, living in Vancouver in 2011, so help us, Lord. We need your strength. We need, um, we need your help. We ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.